Good evening, and welcome to another edition of Radio Book Club, Hardback Radio, coming to you every Monday, first Monday of the month at 5 p.m. I'm one of your hosts, Sherry Zollinger, from Back of Beyond Books, and of course, every first Monday of the, of the month, I'm joined by my compatriots, Andy from Back of Beyond Books. Greetings, Andy. Oh, good evening. You know, we could do this every Monday. Oh, did I say every Monday? No, oh, you, you yeah. almost did. <laughs> and just looking at the stacks of books on oh, the table here, we're not going to get to a tenth of these tonight. I know, and the stacks grow. Have you noticed? They really do. The they stacks proliferate. grow. <laughs> yes. Good evening, Sherry. Good evening. Welcome. Um, we're also joined this evening by Jesse. Jesse from the Public Library. Grand County Public Public Library. Hello, Jesse. Good, good evening, everyone. <laughs> and we are we're excited to be here. We come uh, prepared, like we were just saying. With y- if you could see the studio right now, you'd see our little piles sitting in front of us, and we're ready and waiting to get into some of these stacks. Of course, every. Every time we meet, every edition of our radio book club, we kind of follow a little bit of a format. And so tonight we're going to do a few things similarly. Of course, we're going to start with news from both the bookstore and the library. Just see what's happening uh, this month at both locations. And then, of course, we we kind of go between... uh, we, we like to do a question of the day, and we've decided we're going to do that again today. Jesse's going to introduce that for us. We're excited to talk about that. And then we do a little dabbling into the bestseller list. We'll do that tonight. And then, of course, with all these stacks, I'm going to try and facilitate tonight's program so that we can actually get to these stacks. They're looking good right now. We're excited to talk to you about the books that we love and that we've been reading uh, we've actually been reading you all, you all been reading this this month <laughs> a lot yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> more so than other months mm-hmm. or what's going on with that i think it's a winter time uh, pleasure of mine it gets dark so early mm-hmm. and i'm typically in bed hour earlier than normal and that's when i read yep and so yeah it's given me that that added pleasure daylight savings time all Mm-hmm. And uh, absolutely love the wintertime reads. Yes. How about you, Jesse? Yeah, same. I'm um, I'm less outdoors in my garden than mm-hmm. other times of the year, and um, it's just such a pleasure to stay cozy on the couch. I have a little fake fireplace that emits <laughs> warmth and uh, and a nice cozy glow. It's silly, but it's my favorite thing. I I put my feet on the rail of that, stack up books, and and drink a lot of tea and coffee and and tend to read a lot. I've also um, had a few extra days off this this month, and so I've um, I've actually got to spend some almost solid days reading this just month, reading. which has just been a total treat. Love it. Mm-hmm. Do you ever queue up uh, Netflix Fireplace? <laughs> Oh, I have before, <laughs> but not since I have my own. There's little, a, there's an odd, an odd kind of feeling. <laughs> yeah, it started. I remember the Yule log on, yes, exactly. on PBS <laughs> yes. when I was a kid. They put that on. I think it was on <laughs> Christmas Eve when I was a little kid. And I swear it emits warmth. Mm. I swear. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Jesse, why don't you go ahead and just take us into some news and events that are happening at the library this month. Sure. Well, the library continues to be open, operating on normal hours. All are welcome. Masks still required inside. Um, and for events this year, this month, we are um, doing a little online reading challenge. Lots and lots of folks have done our big summer reading challenges, and we're doing some um, we're doing some shorter, pared down, fun winter challenges. So this, um, during the month of December, you can join NASA at my library, an online reading challenge. You can go to the library's website, moablibrary.org, and find all the details there. If you read uh, four hours or more during this month, you can... Um, 
Uh, you can win prizes and every little chunk of time that you read that you log on this little online tracker app, um, you get uh, tickets that you can um, put toward prize drawings. This is a reading challenge for all ages from z age zero to however old you are. Um, the prizes are the same across the board. We have um, we have tickets to uh, astronomy tours, local astronomy tours here um, to offer um, as the as the prize drawing prizes. Additionally, there are lots of little treasures for children who um, register and complete the challenge as well. So NASA at my library, this is our space theme as you might have guessed, um, particularly learning about the James Webb Space Telescope that's about to launch. And um, there are some fun ways to learn about that embedded in um, this challenge. So call the library if you'd like, 259-1111, or go online to moablibrary.org and check out this month's reading challenge with some really great prizes. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention is the Friends of the Library is a wonderful nonprofit support group. Uh, these folks work really, really hard to uh, generate um, support for the library um, for all kinds of programs. In fact, reading challenge prizes are among them. They used to do a biannual book sale, a really big deal that would run for about a week. And uh, times have changed, and the book sale is now ongoing all the time in the uh, library's lobby. And uh, during library hours, there are treasures to uh, to shop for, and the the book sale is stocked, restocked every week with new treasures, movies, music, books, uh, puzzles, similar similar things. So um, stop by and search for some search for some treasures in the Friends of the Library's lobby book sale. Ooh, sounds That's, exciting! Yeah, treasures at the library. <laughs> what about the bookstore, Andy? Our big news is our annual Books for Tots program. This is a program where we have invited the area librarians from all of the, the Grand County schools, including the uh, preschool and the charter school. And then we've also added the um, CFI this year as recipient and the Multicultural Center as recipient and Beacon After School. So there's 10 uh, educational groups that we invite into the store. They pick 30 books each that their libraries or reference libraries need that they don't have funds for. And then we, the bookstore, invites the community to come in and choose a book or books which then are prepared and donated to these various educational groups. And it is my favorite program that uh, the bookstore has been involved with. Year in and year out, we religiously see the, the same people, and then every year we grow some new people. Since the pandemic, we've also invited people to simply make donations uh, to the program, and then we will choose the books. Last year, we had so many kind souls in Grand County that we were able to, in addition to the books to each of the schools, we we're able to produce a $400 gift card to each of the schools, which they then could use throughout their year to supplement their libraries. So it's become a, a really heartwarming, successful program for literacy in Grand County. So that is ongoing. You probably see the big banner in front <laughs> of the bookstore <laughs> as a reminder. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's a good way to pay it forward. It, if any of you perhaps were influenced by a children's librarian or a children's reading program growing up, you might want to give back through Books for Tots. It's definitely a labor of love. And when I see the teachers come in picking the books, a lot of them will say, you know, our li little library, say even in my classroom, is because of this program. We've, we've just been growing it slowly but surely. And they just have a little, little fire in their eyes, little stars in their eyes when they come in and get to pick that many it's, books. It's really exciting yeah. to see the teachers. They love the, it. The little, the little wrinkle this year is with the Multicultural Center, mm -hmm. a new uh, program member. And they are going to bring in their children clients and we're giving them actually vouchers and this will allow their kids to actually take the books home similar to what we do with the mentoring program 
And uh, Rihanna at the Multicultural Center said, you know, many of our client families have no books at all in their their, uh, houses. Mm -hmm. And just to put a book in a kid's hand and see the smile and see what can come out of that is pretty heartwarming. And what a, a little bookstore might look like as well. She was excited to bring the kids in for that. Nice. We also have mm -hmm. uh, dropped our hours to 9 to 6 daily, and we will be closed for Christmas, but open every other day for your uh, holiday shopping pleasure. And we may talk about holiday gifts we may. today if we have time. <laughs> yeah, and we'll be closing right after qu Christmas on the 26th. We'll be closing at 5. So, All right, well, let's head on into... Just for the listeners out there, especially for those who are new to Radio Book Club, every month we look at what's called the Indie Bestseller List. And this is a collective of indie bookstores who basically bring their books to the table and, and their stats. And this is uh, the list that comes out of this collection of uh, indie bookstores. And so we like to, we, we spend a lot of time looking at that list, and so we like to talk about it er every time we, we gather. So question to both of you, is there anything from the list that is exciting or that you're currently reading? I Andy, guess, anything? I guess I'll start in that I indulged this weekend in uh, reading a book from the fiction side and for those who listen to the radio book club you know my my recent disdain for fiction <laughs> and so my gosh i am so pleased to say that the louise erdrich book sentence is so so yeah. good it's, it's number four on oh the my gosh list. I, I can't i'll talk more about it uh when we get to what we're reading but uh that's on the indie list is mm -hmm. number four. What I also like about the list right now is it's filled with some real literature. You know, whether it's Anthony Doerr's Cloud Cuckoo Land or Richard Powers' Bewilderment, uh, Harlem Shuffle. Uh, there's some meaty books on there. Mm -hmm. And sometimes this time of the year we tend to, I think, see the, the John Grisham's takeover. And I'm really pleased to see that we have really some good literature picks right now sally rooney jonathan franzen richard powers all yeah, of those yeah yeah mm -hmm. jesse anything that kind of um is is working for you this month yeah i'm delighted to hear about louise Erdrich's the sentence yes um her last two didn't really excite me um but this one i'm hoping will be a strong one i am um i'm really excited to talk about number three on the fiction list which is cloud cuckoo land by anthony door you guys probably uh would recognize him from his previous book all the light we cannot see that was an international sensation and his follow-up novel is not a disappointment Ooh, it is amazing good. so i'm excited about number three on the indie bestseller list on the fiction side how yeah. difficult was it for you to to get into that? I've heard several reviewers saying you've got to get a hundred pages in. It didn't give me any trouble at all. Okay. However, uh, this is a book that I had the luxury of reading in large chunks. That mm. might have been a different yeah. experience if I was just reading fifteen twenty minutes at a time, which which sometimes is all you get in life. Um, it really can make a difference in your experience reading a book, because I was able to to uh, sit for an hour or or more at a time with this book um i didn't have any trouble i i couldn't put it down i good to it know really it really flowed well for me it's mm. got all kinds of stuff going on in it um across 600 years and many many <laughs> time characters. travel didn't uh it was just so expertly uh woven together anyway i'm i will rhapsodize about that um uh, a little more later on oh good so we'll get those two back again i just want to let listeners know actually our for hard cover fiction diane let's see i always forget how to say her last name gabaldon gabaldon yep diane 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 gabaldon um go tell the bees that i am gone that's actually number one and then for nonfiction, hardcover nonfiction, the 1619 project 
paperback number one of course is Dune and has been for a little while and then uh, paperback nonfiction is endlessly braiding sweet grass <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't you know I was thinking do we celebrate when it moves off or do we or do we mourn when it moves off I don't think it will <laughs> number one <laughs> you know it really doesn't seem like it's going to move anytime soon with that particular book that would that will be a sad day when it moves yes, off. yes I think exactly. it's a, I think it's a that's some of these are symbols of, of hope and, uh, it's also a, a pandemic book. Yeah. And yeah. in fact, yeah. in reading the sentence, they talk about braiding oh, sweet really? grass and how it's an indie favorite at this uh-huh. quote unquote fictional bookstore, uh-huh. which we know is not because Louise Erdrich uh, owns a bookstore up in uh, the Twin Cities yes. called Birch Bark Books. And obviously, that would be a favorite because they're very heavily uh, leaning towards indigenous writers which Robin Wall Kimmer is. Mm-hmm. And it's also just a perfect book for our time. And Andy, you need to, I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat. We got to get your review. Yeah. You got to tell us Go a little ahead. bit more about Go the ahead. sentence. Well, okay. I'm excited that this has, you know, transformed your opinion of literature as we know it, at least in this last year. Well, I, like <laughs> Jesse, uh, have soured a little bit on uh, Luis's last few novels. And so I was really pleased, even in the very first chapter, to realize that what she has done in in this novel is back to her love medicine beat queen period of time with these funky, fun, weird, indigenous, uh, primarily strong women characters built into the novel. So there's that humor. And it takes place in a bookstore. The opening chapter, you realize that Tuki, one of the main characters, is kidnapping a cadaver. And you're wondering, (laughs) how in the heck is this going to get us into this bookstore? But she then gets sentenced to 60 years in prison, which is commuted to seven years. But in those seven years, she becomes a reader. And so she then introduces herself to the owner of this fictional, and I'm doing the air quotes, Mm bookstore in the Twin Cities and talks to the fictional owner, Louise. And (laughs) Louise asks one question in the interview, and it's simply, what are you reading? And Tukey Mm -hmm. answers it correctly, and she gets hired on the spot, Louise not caring what her background was. And it turns out Tukey is the best hand seller on the staff. (laughs) And throughout the book, she is hand selling books tailored perfectly to her clientele one of which is a woman named flora who no one likes (laughs) in the store none of the the employees like flora and early on flora dies and it's flora's ghost that comes back to haunt the bookstore (laughs) that's hilarious and (laughs) it it is multi-layered because there's a lot more than just flora's ghost because there's a manuscript journal that Flora was reading the day she died and in fact Tukey says the book killed her and it did and I'm not going to tell you how or why <laughs> it did. The other characters Asema and Penstemon and Pollux uh, it's just it's, it's a throwback to Luisa's early writing in my mind and I had the privilege of having the weekend to read it we didn't quite finish it and so I came home about three hours ago, and I sat down. And I read the last hundred pages, just nice. ripping through it. <laughs> so I just can't say enough about it, especially if you're a book lover. The past, the back three or four pages, she includes all of Tukey's. She calls it the totally biased list of Tukey's favorite books. Mm. <laughs> and so you have your ghost managing book list. You have your <laughs> short, perfect novels. And these are all the real books that Tukey is, that we're all hand selling. The sailboat table, which is a um, where they put their bestsellers. Uh, books for band love. Indigenous lives, indigenous poetry, sublime books, and on and on. And all these books are referred to in the the novel itself. So anyone who loves literature would absolutely devour the sentence by Louise Erdrich. 
So those lists are like double bibliographies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how, how contemporary are those lists? Like are those coming out of the last five years? Well, or this is a pandemic book. Right. And so many of the novels are within the last few years. Wow. And then they go back to Proust and, and some mm-hmm. of the classics as well. Proust does play a role wow. in this book. So, yeah, <laughs> that's where Braiding Sweetgrass came in. And I'm so much of what is in this novel is what we've gone through at the bookstore. Mm. The bookstore closed and then mail orders began to yeah. be a thing and curbside began it to be a thing and home delivery began a thing and they talk about their PPP loan and they needed that to survive. And so it goes in and out of fiction and, and real life in this fictional bookstore. Does it start right at the beginning of the pandemic then? Is no. It? Oh, okay. No, it so starts you move into much it. further back and then it moves into it. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> well, thank you. That was good. We, we, I think we needed to hear that right now. That was, uh, I'm actually looking forward to that, especially because I have such strong memories of reading her for the first time, you know, and, and those were extraordinary experiences actually, where you just set a book down and say, okay, yeah. And yet, <laughs> what can I you read know, next? The That's Night Watchman won the Pulitzer, yeah. her last novel. Mm-hmm. And yet both Jesse and I, uh, it was, yeah. I mean, it's a, I think a beautifully wrought story about her grandfather, but uh, it just wasn't the story I was looking for mm-hmm. at that point in time from Louise Herdrich whereas the sentence is. And, it, you know, it makes me think of you last week, Andy, just kind of perusing. You, you were excited to go home and have a few days of reading, and and I just thought, okay, so we've got to get Andy reading something that he's going to love. And so, fictional. Yeah, fictional. Non-fiction yeah. is oh, yeah, never no. a problem. Exactly. So, yeah, I'm very pleased. <laughs> All right, kind of moving now from our indie bestseller list, I think we'll go into our quote question of the day and we got a great one actually through the week we were uh, emailing back and forth and jesse had a good idea so i'm gonna have jesse start us off with this with this question and then i think we'll go in a little round table here from jesse will introduce and then we'll go to andy and myself and then jesse you can uh, follow up sure so um the question i would like to ask you guys is do you have any uh, life experience stories that revolve around a book any any kind of odd odd experiences where a particular book kept cropping up or um, Mm -hmm. that just featured a book and i'd love love to hear uh anything you guys have to say (laughs) i was mentioning uh before we went on air that i i'm as nervous about this question, knowing what the question was, then when Sherry puts us on the spot, not knowing. <laughs> uh, and I think part of that is, at least for me, books are, are my life. And I really wanted to honor this question. And so I spent all weekend thinking about it. And uh-huh. I talked to Marcy about it. I said, <laughs> what, what am I going to do? And about a month ago, no, about two weeks ago, um, this American Life with Ira Glass had a program about birds and they used the term spark birds as the species of bird that got birders around the world, a particular species, got them going into birding. <laughs> the irony was I'd never heard this term spark bird and, and I'd talked to a couple of my birding friends and they had never heard of this term spark bird. Regardless, I began to, Marcy asked me, what's your spark bird? And it was immediate, 1971, Grass Valley, California, the Western Tanager. Mm. And the only reason I knew that is because we were on vacation in July and I celebrated my birthday with some of my dad's relatives. So that's July, 1971. And the gift I was given for my 11th birthday was Roger Torrey Peterson's A Field Guide to Western Birds. And you can see the book is literally falling apart. And if you go to where the Western Tanager is, you'll see where I've written in my 11-year-old writing, Grass Valley. Mm. (laughs) And I use this book for the next 30 years. 
And that one bird, and for those of you who don't know the western tanager, is one of the, the most spectacularly colored western birds. It has a bright red head, a bright yellow chest, and then its wings are black and white. And when it flies, it, it, it shows these white wing bars. And so you just see this, this red, yellow, black, and white flash. They look like they belong in the tropics. Yeah, there. exactly. Like mm. Papaya yeah. colored. And Most yeah. of the tanagers are brightly colored, yeah. but the western tanager is more brightly colored. Mm -hmm. So that was my spark bird, and this was one of my spark books. books yeah. If you can <laughs> yeah. put it to that. It stayed with me. I still have it. I have probably 20 additional field guides to birds, and I don't use this very often because there are better guides out there now but you can this is my life you can see where i've written you know north rim grand canyon flagstaff arizona almost on every page here's north rim uh grand canyon again north rim anza borrego the southern california desert <laughs> it's my life in birds and so i i'm really appreciative of that question it made me think hard about what book has perhaps even changed my life lovely perfect it's interesting yeah, that book is clearly yeah. well loved <laughs> yes <laughs> i was thinking that uh you know the uh is it maria kondo that coined the term spark joy mm -hmm. and it makes me think that that's where they got that mm -hmm. that they just kind of moved that over into spark bird because it's that idea you know mm, sure. uh, what what sparks joy with maria it's clothing or you know, household items, mm -hmm. or you just put it up to your your face and say, "Does this spark joy?" So I think that's that's interesting. It sounds like they kind of pulled that word over. Um, for me, it was, it's interesting because, of course, books do swirl and always have swirled around my life for a very long time. So there probably are hundreds of stories I would say where you know you can kind of pull it a book to my personal life and I was thinking about a little bit more of I, I've spent a lot of time reading biographies at the graves of authors and <laughs> so a little bit darker uh, and I was thinking well maybe this time this just occurred to me actually today because i've been kind of contemplating this question as well and uh, a book i read way early on was the boxcar children by gertrude chandler warner very very young re reading this book and it inspired my imagination about these set of siblings living in a boxcar and trying to figure out how to live together it was it was very um my imagination was definitely sparked so uh i'm gonna apologize to my parents first for telling this story mm -hmm. um i come from a, a, a host of siblings we have 11 of us and there were probably about eight of us in the car headed through logan canyon we were all very young but not like you know, infant young. We were young and fighting. Young and fighting in the car, headed through Logan Canyon. So my dad stops the car and just lets us all out on the side of the road. <laughs> lets you out or kicks you out? Kicks us out. <laughs> yeah. On the side of the road. Now, of course, the infants didn't get, I don't know, I guess there was probably one infant, but there there were quite a few of us that got kicked out onto the side <laughs> of the road. And he left. <laughs> he left. And I've since talked to my mom about this, and she was like, oh, I was just hoping we were going to go back. Uh, so here we are, probably six of us, standing out there, and everyone's crying, you know. Oh. And it occurs to me, the boxcar children. <laughs> we had the tools. So, yes. <laughs> and I was, all, I was quickly down into the canyon looking for uh, pine needles for our beds. Mm -hmm. And, you know, getting everyone excited about how we were going to sleep through the night. <laughs> and that book, you know, became a sort of like, okay, we can do this. We, you know, they're not coming back. <laughs> we, we can actually do this. And, of course, by the time they came back, I was, I was definitely ready to get back into the car. But that was kind of one of those where 
that book just, uh, you know, got me through a little hard patch <laughs> with my siblings in the middle of Logan Canyon. That's wonderful. It gave you, it gave you some tools to feel yep. capable and confident. I think you take care of yourself. <laughs> exactly. Just and my siblings. Cave and and it was going to be fun. Cave and some pine needles. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect I love that. oh and i'm also impressed with your dad for actually doing that <laughs> oh my god that's funny. can you imagine if you did that now i'd be like you, you know go, yeah oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Oh what about you god. jesse well the story i'm thinking of that sort of um got me thinking about this question um revolves around a book um let's see when my husband and i first met uh before we were married obviously in 2000 he brought me to the library i was new in town and he brought me to the library which he was a a patron regular patron and um while we were browsing in the stacks he goes oh here's some books that i donated to the library and (laughs) they were some really cool old um really uh, rare old copies of the hobbit and a couple of the others in the trilogy of the ring and these were books that his when he was a little boy in middle school his grandma had given him now she was um she was a school librarian when he was a little boy growing up and so he got to spend a lot of time in the library with her and would always get wonderful wonderful books for christmas and she when he was about 10 I think bought him this and it's one of these gorgeous old uh, hardbacks the book i'm thinking of is the hobbit and it's one that has the original illustrations and fold out maps the map, of middle yeah. earth and yep. uh anyway so he showed me this on the shelf of moab library and he says yeah i've you know carted that around my whole life till i moved into a school bus and couldn't you know had to pare down my belongings and and it's um i was always so happy that the library uh, added it to the collection and everyone's enjoying it so fast forward quite a few years 10 years almost i got a job at the library and uh one as a very very painful part of a librarian's task is to weed the collection now and then and you want to pull books out that no one's reading anymore um that have really low you know circulation stats for the last five years or more uh books that are in bad shape or um Anyway, the, for what for one reason or another, this uh, I, I found this book, The Hobbit, in a box that was being considered for withdrawal, mm. and someone had just donated <laughs> another newer edition of The Hobbit um, that was the binding was tight and it wasn't quite as old, and so this one was getting pulled out. So I asked permission to buy it from the library because these always go into the book sales. So you don't want to just take whatever. We always try to try to be careful that way. Anyway. Um, the, so this book enjoyed a long spell in the Moab library, and then it went home with me again <laughs> about 15 years after, about 15 years in the library, it went home with me, and I was able to give it back to my husband. Wow. And he was so overjoyed, and his grandmother has had passed away by then, but he just, he was like, oh, if Nanny could see this and mm. know the story of this book that traveled you know, traveled all the way down, I guess, uh, probably from Salt Lake down here to Moab and, and did its time in, in the library and then serendipitously wound up back on his shelf years later when he had the storage space to accommodate it again. So it sits up <laughs> on our living room bookshelf in a place of honor and uh, it always makes me happy to, yeah, to well, look at that book. A heartwarming that story. story. Yeah. Very yeah, heartwarming. So. Thank you for um, thank you for your stories, guys. Oh, That's yeah. really, really lovely, both of your both of your answers. And the the questions will keep coming. Indeed, <laughs> we'll, keep, we'll keep asking. Some questions are cold, asked in the moment. Others we give we give each other a little bit of time to think. And it's always nice to have these uh, these questions turn into little stories. Um, and so thank you, thank you, Jesse, for just thinking about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So we're going to go into a little round table, book reviews, things we're excited about. We may or may not suggest things for Christmas. Did either of you bring anything specifically that might kind of work as a, a Christmas a gift? Well, I was going to talk about what don't you, what you shouldn't do what you shouldn't for Christmas do. giving. Okay, okay. Do you want to go ahead with that, Andy? Or do we want to do book reviews? Oh, I, I, I see don't what care. you mean. Let's do, no. Well, let's do book reviews. 
Okay. I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to uh, astound you all and pick out another piece of fiction. Okay. Well, Not only that, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> two, wow. two in a row. <laughs> this is a, a book by Todd Robert Peterson. He's a professor at Southern Utah University. It's titled Picnic in the Ruins. And I'll set the stage for you. You have a in this case, he calls her an anthropologist. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call her an archaeologist who's out here to study the impacts on tourism in a uh, fictional, newly established national monument in southern Utah. You have a small county sheriff who's uh, perhaps slightly out of his league. You have a small-town newspaper reporter who loves the attention that glossy headlines will bring him. We have a German tourist who stumbles upon the scene. We have two pot hunters. <laughs> we have the old-time legal pot hunter who's created a museum in his house <laughs> and we have a fictional president <laughs> who's trying to shrink this newly established national huh. monument hmm. is so that's fiction? <laughs> are you sure exactly <laughs> and and that was what i was really worried about this all of course happened and so for those of us who live in southern utah and see the audacity of Robert or Todd Robert Peterson to try to fictionalize this account, it put me immediately on edge because we know the stories so well. And yet he pulls it off. And he pulls it off uh, really, really well. Yet there are a couple of fictional um, threads that kind of fall apart for me. There's one character who I failed to mention. He's the fixer. And he's been sent in to clean up this mess and he always shows up at the perfect time and yet we're in the middle of the wild and, and how he got to these places it doesn't work but <laughs> you know throw that aside um it was really a lot of fun picnic in the ruins by todd robert peterson and it's put out by a counterpoint and and Counterpoint's a, a serious publisher. Oh, yeah. It's just not some English professor who self-published his first book. Counterpoint's a heavyweight. Mm. So um, I really enjoyed it, and I highly recommend it. Thank nice. you. Jesse, well, I see a wonderful pile. Oh, yes. Well, um, I would love to talk for a moment about um, the, a book of short stories called The City of Mist by Carlos Ruiz Zafon. I am a diehard fan of, let's call him CRZ for short, Carlos <laughs> Ruiz Zafon, um, for his, uh, the Cemetery of Forgotten Books cycle. There are uh, uh, three, four books in this. Um, he calls it a cycle as opposed to a series because he uh, designed it so that you can pick up and begin with any book um, and doesn't have to be read uh, beginning to end. These are uh, gorgeous gothic mysteries always centering around um, books, um, labyrinthine secret, uh, not bookstore, but library, the city, the, the cemetery of forgotten books. Um, and they take place in misty, dark, mysterious Barcelona. Um, uh, most of the books take place in uh, around the Spanish Civil War. Um, some uh, about 10 or 20 years in there. So um, uh, the Cemetery of Forgotten Book, let's see, The Shadow of the Wind is the very first one, and that's one of the, my top 10 favorite books in the world. It is just exquisite, gorgeously written, atmospheric, moody, um, really, really fascinating characters, history, and you really get a great sense for that city. Talk about writing a great sense of place, um, those books. So um, God bless CRZ. He passed away last year um, after a battle with cancer. And um, posthumously, this book, The City of Mist, has been published. Um, and I was delighted to note that he did all of the editing before he passed away. So this is not um, a weird hybrid project. So these short stories take us back into Barcelona and they follow many of the same characters and storylines um, sort of interweave 
um, you'll recognize from uh, his previous novels. And so uh, the Sempere family features in those um, in the in the shadow of the wind in those novels. And we get to meet Sempere's father as a young man and we get to meet grandfather too in one of the stories. Um, so just magical, mysterious, gothic Barcelona. There's mist, decaying mansions glimpsed through crumbling stone walls through the, through the fog, the mossy cemeteries, angel <laughs> statuary. I'm just thinking there's so much delicious imagery in these. Love, loss, books. Um, and uh, they're um, just gorgeous descriptions of, of Barcelona. And um, I highly, highly recommend um, any, any of his books, but particularly um, The Shadow of the Wind and uh, The City of Mist. And you don't have, these stories would work just fine alone if you haven't, even if you haven't read uh, his previous novels. novels. These stories are just gorgeous and interesting and, um, and fun. We meet uh, uh, Cervantes, um, the author of Don Quixote, features in a young, young Cervantes we meet in one of the stories. Um, I love, there's a conversation Cervantes is having while he's um, struggling to write. And uh, someone, uh, Sancho <clears throat> is, a, is a character in the story too. He says, tell Don Antonio about your comedy. Sancho encouraged the author. Actually, it's a tragedy, Cervantes clarified. And pray, what is the difference if the master will forgive my utter ignorance of fine lyric genre? And he replies, comedy shows us that one must not take life too seriously. And tragedy shows us what happens when we pay no attention to what <laughs> comedy teaches us. <laughs> so although these books are misty, dark, mysterious, and, and, and sort of gothic, there is a lot of humor and just really on point wry observations about human nature. Um, a little bit like uh, uh, Louis de, de Bernier um, mm -hmm. in that in that way. So I'm really really enjoying this very atmospheric um, book full of beautiful stories and imagery and a beautiful cover and a beautiful cover. Very mist mm -hmm. mystical. Yes, the city of mist. The mist. Carlos Ruiz Zafon. Thanks, Jesse. Yeah. Well, if I can be so bold, I'd like to introduce all at once three different cookbooks. The theme that I was thinking about for myself this time was uh, travel. I've been really thinking a lot about foreign travel at, this, at, at a time when it doesn't look like foreign travel really is that easy. Um, and so when I start thinking about traveling, uh, next best thing to not going abroad is to start looking at the food where, you know, you can at least uh, pull that into your kitchen. And we have just some wonderful cookbooks uh, at the bookstore right now, and they're all so seductive, and they're so fun to just look at, let alone, you know, work the, um, the recipes. And so I just, I wanted to mention... The first one, Japanese Soul Cooking, and this is by Tadasho Ono and Harris Salat. And I just want to read real quick. In Japan, ramen is much more than a tasty bowl of noodles. Remember eating ramen when you were young? That sort of like, you know, ramen that you got at the grocery store, right? This isn't that ramen. <laughs> it borders on an obsession. Forget that cheapo cup ramen you downed to fuel okay. college all-nighters. Mm -hmm. We're talking about, what we're talking about is perfection in a bowl. Do either of you like uh, good Japanese ramen? I'm not uh -huh. sure I've ever had a really, really good yeah. bowl of ramen. Oh, thick broth and, you know, the uh, miso base and it just, with the right, the right noodles, the right wheat noodles, those boiled eggs cut inside there and sometimes the, the you know, the, the broth is so thick and it's hearty, and if you go to Japan, you can get it anywhere, but if you go to any city, you can get it anywhere as well. And so this is kind of taking a lot of those, those Japanese recipes that you, you, you'll see on the street and telling you how to make them. And ramen isn't that easy, actually. It's, it's, a, it's a process, but this is Japanese soul cooking, so if in your winter delight you'd like to learn how to make ramen because I don't think we can get ramen here in Moab, can we? 
I don't think we can. So you have to make it. <laughs> you have to make it for yourself. And then the next one, real quickly, Cheese, Sex, Death, a Bible for the Cheese Obsessed. And this is, it kind of takes some funny um, religious context. And the author says, the number one question people ask me is, why cheese? Of all the possible passions one could pursue, why did I develop myself to evangelizing what is essentially solidified milk in a state of controlled decay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so this is a wonderful book on um, cheese. It's, it's definitely got... Um, kind of, it's kind of funny in some ways, but wonderful pictures, and it goes t- through every brand of cheese, and kind of tells you the milk type, the intes- intensity it pairs with, um, and how you pronounce it. Mm. So many of those cheeses we don't know how to pronounce, you know. So they have their pronunciations. They the do. Book. Oh, very helpful. Yes, and how nice. you pr- actually pronounce the cheese. Gorgeous and photography. Gorgeous as well. photography. What it pairs with. Recipes in the back. Um, if you like cheese and you know someone that likes cheese, <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. And then finally, uh, when I lived in Taiwan for all those years, I I was taught how to make dumplings. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways to make dumplings, but there's one called Shaolongbao, and that's actually how you say it in Chinese. And there's this book called Let's Make Dumplings by Hugh Amano and Sarah B. Ken, a comic book cookbook. So it's kind of got a graphic novel feel, but it literally goes through and tells you how to make gyoza. It tells you how to make um, pot stickers. It tells you exactly how to make these things, what to use, the tools. It literally has pictures of how to wrap the thing. And then it isn't easy Which to wrap it. Which is an art for It's dumplings. an art, but yeah. look at those hands. <laughs> it's, it's kind of got this graphic and almost comic book quality, but it's, it does a good job of giving you exactly how to do it. And um, so it made me think of spending the winter doing some cooking and and going to those places that are were familiar for for me growing up or in my 20s actually living in Taiwan and and kind of bringing that food back home so you're making Yum. me very hungry yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead Andy what's huh. next on your list all right I'll go back to nonfiction. I think <laughs> it was uh probably at maybe the July show that I previewed uh, Douglas Tellamy's The Nature of Oaks and I rhapsodized about planting an oak tree and, and how I was falling in love with the species. And I've kind of continued that um, path. And a few weeks ago, I picked up James Canton's The Oak Papers. And Canton is a professor in England. And where Ptolemy did 12 months of an oak tree in his front yard, Canton has done a year's worth of observations of what's known as the Honeywood Oak in a forest in North Essex, England. And they couldn't be more different in their observations, whereas Ptolemy is a very, he's a scientist, and so he looks at the oak through a scientific lens. Um, Canton looks through it through a almost a spiritual lens and he almost communes with the oak and and don't take it wrong when I say that it's not a a woo-woo book it's very rooted uh, no pun intended or pun intended <laughs> and he he talks about the history of this region in England and how oaks used to cover the land and how of course they were cut uh, for ship making and and barrels and, and staves and, and whatever else they needed oaks. This particular um, uh, forest that he's in, this is the last oak that's left. And it has a storied history in and of itself. And so he he talks to the caretaker of the oak and, and the land in which it takes place. He goes back to the history of it. It's an 800-year-old tree. And so at one point he climbs up into the oak and lays down on on a branch that's larger than most trees. Mm -hmm. And it just begins to embrace 
you mm. in the beauty of his writing and the beauty of his observations. And we don't have oaks like that in in this part of the country. We have the little uh, shrub oaks, the gambles oak, you know, up mm -hmm. in the mountains, they may get a spindly 20 feet tall. And so I just, I, I look forward to the day I can travel to some place where I can embrace uh, an oak with a girth of 30 feet oh, and wow. just look up into the branches. And uh, hmm. yeah, I'm still in love with oaks. I'm more in love with oaks. And I'm in love with this book, James Canton's The Oak Papers. It's truly beautiful. Hmm. Oak trees are among my favorite just aesthetically. Acorns are exquisite. Mm -hmm. The lightning bolt shape of the bare tree branches is exquisite. They're their leaf shape everything about them i just love oaks. and dare i, miss, I say the, the, the wood itself oh, yeah. mm. uh, especially if you have a beautiful cutter quarter sawn piece of oak that you polish yeah it doesn't get be more beautiful mm -hmm. nice jesse what's next well i'll tell you a little bit more about um uh, the new anthony door book uh cloud cuckoo land um really quick um this is an epic story within a story. We have uh, five m main characters whose lives span uh, about 600 years, and they're all entwined. Um, the common thread through all of them is a manuscript um, that was ancient when it gets discovered in Constantinople, 15th century Constantinople. The city is about to fall to the Saracens, and um, this young girl who's been an orphan living in a monastery uh, attempting to get by as a seamstress and she's really terrible at it she's always in trouble much too curious about the world she finds out that uh, if she steals a little bread and wine this really old man will teach her how to read and she so she steals she steals food and wine and steals time away from the monastery and learns to read this leads her to a career thieving um, from this abandoned castle fortress um, in Constantinople, uh, ancient mildewing manuscripts um, that have been have been mil mildewing away in the shadows for years, and she takes them to a person who's col a man who's collecting them on behalf of some someone else who's trying to compile ancient texts. She comes across just as the city's falling. She comes across a text. It looks important. It looks beautiful. It's already falling apart. Um, as she makes her escape out of the falling city, she she carries this book with her um, on these adventures. Um, and the book in question is called uh, Cloud Cuckoo Land. Mm. And it is um, an imaginary book written by a real uh, character, uh, Diogenes. The I love the opening, uh, the opening line, stranger, whoever you are, open this to learn what will amaze you. And that uh, that line um, opens the story of Cloud Cuckoo Land. Other characters include um, uh, Zeno Ninnis, who, who starts out in Lakeport, Idaho, a small town in Idaho in the 1950s. He um, goes away to war, comes back, um, comes back with some, some existential pain, eventually finds peace translating a recently discovered fragmented copy of this story. We also have Constance, who is on a spaceship in hundreds of years in the future, the sort of an ark that is saving a selection of mankind, traveling many generations worth of people to a planet, an a planet that they believe can sustain life. Earth has become unlivable. She finds a copy <laughs> of this book in the supercomputer. I can't say too much. <laughs> There's also a troubled teen named Seymour um, who is uh, t misguided in a misguided attempt at environmental activism to protest some uh, l really sad land development? He winds. He his plan is to bomb the library, where Zeno Ninnis, as an old man now, is putting on a children's play that they have created out of this ancient text. I'm not doing a very good job. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Anthony Doerr does a marvelous job at weaving all of these storylines um, in. Oh, and then the young man named Amir and his um, 
the Greek, Greek boy and his two beautiful oxen friends, Moonlight and Tree, his gorgeous, his gorgeous oxman, oxen. Um, he does a beautiful job. I started reading this book. Uh, I finished it. I, I really couldn't put it down. I, I just, I just, abs every page was a, was a revelation and a delight. And um, just the, it's an interlocking puzzle. We jump back and forth in time, back and forth with characters, but there's no, um, it's, it's very smooth and uh, just exquisitely done. And I liked this one even better than his previous book, All the Light We Cannot See. Um, this one really worked for me. So again, Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Doerr. If you have any fiction fans on your Christmas list, um, this one, this one's a real treat. Still in hardback. Yeah. Um, you, you know, Jesse, I was just thinking, is there any way you could speak just for a second? Cause we, we're going to do a lightning round real, real fast to the feeling. Was there any overarching feeling you were left with after that book? I've been thinking a lot about this in different different books but it, was there any one feeling you could say just kind of rose to the top or or settled just the marvel that any idea any idea or um uh, a book that has or, or text that has survived through hundreds and hundreds of years just the miracle it is that we have that any books have survived, yeah. um, you know, have survived all of the crazy adventures and wars and floods and droughts and personal right. upheaval. And, um, and then, and just the delight, um, the sort of an awe, awe and delight. In I this love story. that. And, yeah. I've been yeah, thinking a lot about there's, that. They're painful. They're painful experiences in this book, of course, mm -hmm. but that's my awe and delight. Mm -hmm. mm, I like that. Uh, let's see if we can get one more in to, yeah, I'll do mine. And then Andy, you be ready. We're going to do it in just a few seconds here. I actually want to let listeners know we usually get in, you know, the best of things, best of fiction, 2021, best of science fiction, short stories. And we do, we, we have the best American travel writing 2021. And, you know, I feel like travel writing is a little bit of a lost genre. I don't know if, it, would you both say that? I, I don't see a lot of travel writing anymore. As opposed uh, to well, adventure. That's uh, true. Uh, that's true. Writing. Yeah, it's more the. Which is very yeah, different. I guess we'd mm. almost say that's There's the genre. There's boatloads of adventure yes. writing out there right now. Yes, but that kind of old school travel right, writing, which right. I actually really love. And so here, this is a little collection of, of um, essays travel writing essays and there's one in here by leslie jameson jameson who wrote the uh, recovering amongst other uh, non-fiction books and she writes this entire thing it's um, right when the the pandemic had started and she likes to go to these bathhouses in new york city and of course they they all closed but this is basically a love letter to the hammam or the turkish bath so she ends up going to Turkey and went to something like 150 different baths. <laughs> and it hearkens for me to um, a hammam that I would go to at the mosque in Paris. And I have to say, a good hammam is, you know, when you're traveling, is, is almost like a lifeline. But she also speaks to the fact that we are now, you know, the way that we we see the stranger anymore because of the pandemic mm -hmm. and especially the bathhouse you know uh, it, it's kind of something that we're, we're not doing anymore and kind of that idea that just seeing someone anonymously and what that meant to her and how she's not getting that so much and uh, what it's going to look like post-pandemic so uh, this is a, a wonderful collection. Leslie Jameson, amongst many authors in the Best American Travel Writing, uh, edited, edited by Padma Lakshmi 2021. Andy, what do we have? Lightning around really quick. Yeah. On the theme of trees, this is Samana Roy's How I Became a Tree, another gorgeous tome on trees where she takes the, the art of trees, the science of trees, the writing of trees, the drawing of trees, the on and on and on, and there's short little chapters, and so you don't get caught up in, in any one chapter. And each chapter has a beautiful heading, for instance, Pablo Neruda's from his love poems, number 14, 
I want to do with you what spring does with the cherry trees. Aww, I love that. <laughs> and that's a song, too. How I Became a Tree by <laughs> Samana Roy. Okay, Jesse, can you hand okay, us something in about a minute? Okay. I highly recommend Fight Night by Miriam Taves. That is spelled T-O-E-W-S, like toes pronounced Taves. Fight Night is a beautiful story. A nine-year-old girl is trying to hold life together. Her dad has abandoned her heavily pregnant mother and grandmother. She's writing letters to her dad, trying to keep him from forgetting that she exists. Meanwhile, she's trying to keep her crazy mom and crazy grandma in line. Um, Here's a wonderful quote that sums up uh, grandma's philosophy. To be alive means full body contact with the absurd. Still, <laughs> still we can be happy. And that is something that little, little nine-year-old Swiv learns through this delightful, really beautifully written book, Fight Night by Miriam Taves. Excellent. Thank you. And we are just at, to the end of another successful, wonderful radio book club. Andy, where can we find this list? This list we talked about today. It'll be on our uh, book uh, bookshop.org and it'll be on the Grand County Public Library uh, website. Excellent. And if you want to find Radio Book Club, um, the two-week archive immediately is available on kzmu.org um, and then you go to the program tab and click on program schedule. It's a forever archive um, available on Friday afternoon, kzmu.org, news, public affairs tab, Radio Book Club, and then podcasts also available on Friday afternoon. Search Apple Podcasts or Spotify for Public Affairs on KZMU and subscribe. So we are, uh, again, done with another successful book club. We'll be back here next month, first Monday of the month at 5 p.m. for uh, another selection and stack of good, hopefully, very good Mm -hmm. books. All right. Thanks, Jesse. Good night, all. Thanks, Andy. You bet. All right. We'll talk to you all later. Take care. Stay warm.